Welcome to Exotic Pets. I'm Tracy Hotchner, whom you may know as the dog and cat lady, but I'm wearing a different hat here. With the brilliant assistance of my co-host, Dr. Doug Mater, the world-renowned veterinarian specializing in exotic animals, we're here to celebrate all the other pets that share people's lives. This show is for people interested in pets that slither, hop, creep, fly, or swim. From bunnies to iguanas, parrots to ferrets, snakes to tortoises. Dr. Doug is going to teach us the physical requirements of these exotic pets and how to manage the often challenging environments and correct diets essential to their welfare. Dr. Doug Mater is the author of The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. He is recognized worldwide as a veterinary specialist on exotics and is the author of four major veterinary textbooks on reptiles and amphibians. I hope you'll have as much fun listening to our conversations as we have had. We are proud to have ZooMed Laboratories as the sponsor of Exotic Pets. ZooMed has earned its reputation as the number one reptile company in the world, from simple beginnings 45 years ago as a passion project for one man, Gary Bagnall, who still runs it. ZooMed provides supplies and information for every imaginable exotic pet, particularly renowned as the world's expert on UVB and heat lighting. ZooMed manufactures all their reptile supplies, accessories, and tools, which they test on their own collection of animals, which surround everyone at headquarters. Well, I am learning so much every week about all these exotic pets, and I discovered that bearded dragons are the number one most popular exotic pet in the United States. So I need edification. I need Dr. Doug to do the 101 for me, and those of you listening who think, you know what, I could do this, I could have an exotic pet. Well, I guess the number one most popular might be the easiest to take care of, or the most, I don't know, fill in the blank. Otherwise, how come they're the number one most popular? Dr. Doug, have, have they always been the number one most popular in, in your many, many years of practice? Um, hi, Tracy. Uh, thanks again for having me on with you. I th- thoroughly enjoy being here. Thank you. Um, me too, having the time and, with you. Um, You're so generous. Yeah, and bearded dragons are incredible animals. And to answer your question, no, they haven't always been the most popular, only maybe in the last decade or so. I mean, for years and years, the... The green iguana was the number one animal, number one oh. reptile across oh. the board. And then over time, as more reptiles popped into the pet market, the popularity of the iguana started to decrease because they do get quite large. Um, they're not a beginner pet by any means, and they have fairly complicated biology <laughs> that requires housing that most people aren't able to offer. So that's a whole nother set of shows. We, we, we're going to, yes, we've, we've done a show on iguanas, which you guys will hear later. But I wanted to jump to beardies just because right. we recently talked about what, what to feed your dragon and the food, right. the, the special beardy food that ZooMed made. So I thought, well, bef- you know, okay, but tell me some more about bearded dragons before I even feed them kind of thing. I certainly will. And beardeds are kind of cool because, you know, I've been doing this for nearly four decades. And actually right about four decades ago, is when we first started seeing beardies in the United States. These are animals, they're, they're endemic to Australia, and there are eight oh. different species of them. And by far now, there are probably the most common, if not one of the most common reptile and definitely lizard pets. And the one that most people have is Pagonia viticeps. Um, and again, there's, there are seven other species, which we, won't, we don't need to go into, okay. but Pagonia viticeps is the one you'll see in the pet store. And 
they're wonderful little animals. They've got a lifespan depending on what reference you source you look at. Anywhere from about, I've seen it as little as four years, which I don't believe, um, to as much as 15, wow. which I've definitely seen some that lived into the lower mid-teens. Wow. So let's just say from my experience, properly housed and cared for, 10 to 15 years is a very realistic um, wow. prediction for the lifespan of a, a typical bearded dragon. Um, they're, they're really, really cool. And I just have to share a quick story with you. Back before I went to vet school, I remember I knew I was going to be buried in four years of, of academia. So I, I decided to take my few pennies that I had and I took all my money and I went down and spent four or five days at San Diego Zoo. And it was one of the few zoos in the country that actually had bearded dragons in captivity. Because at the time, the only place you could find them was in Australia, and you could only get them on a zoo loan. So in other words, you couldn't walk to the local pet store and buy a bearded dragon. Just, that just didn't happen. Well, fast forward a few years, and as I was beginning my veterinary career, um, you know, I, I did a lot of exotic animal work. I did a lot of reptile work. I did a master's degree in pharmacology and in reptiles. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And, um, and so people started bringing me these animals. And what was interesting was people would bring me animals that were illegal. And as a veterinarian, we're not required to turn people in. So it's not like in human medicine where if you see a case of child abuse or a right. gunshot or a stabbing, you have to call the police. Veterinary medicine, we're not required to. And the reason being is that if we turned everybody in, people wouldn't bring their animals to us that were sick. That's right. And so it was kind of an interesting conundrum for me as a veterinarian because I could, do I turn this person in because he's got bearded dragons or do I treat the sick animal and just look the other way? So I felt my duty was to the animals. So I took care of the animals. So I've been treating these guys since before they were even legal. Wow. Um, and they've definitely, once they got into the country and they got into the proper hands of professional herpetologists, they breed extremely well in captivity. And so now, in the pet world, we have an absolutely wonderful source of healthy bearded dragons that are available to people that want to keep them as pets. And, um, you know, full grown, maybe 18 inches, um, a foot long, is yeah, that includes tip to tail. Um, it's probably about average, maybe a little bit bigger than that. So they're easy keepers. They don't need a lot of space. They don't make noise. They don't stink. Um, if you like to travel or, or travel a lot for work or play, uh, you can leave them alone for several days as long as they have food and water and they're fine when you come back. Um, they've got good personalities. They can recognize wow. their name. They got excellent ears. Wow. Dragons are great pets, Tracy. Wow. This sounds so amazing. So there's a phrase, you, you always say phrases, you throw out phrases and I think a zoo load. So you mentioned that in the beginning, when the only place you could get a bearded dragon outside of Australia was to see them in a zoo, unless you got one off a zoo load. Now, the thing that people listening don't know is that of the many boarded specialties, board certified, boarded means board certified, but in the vet world, we sort of shorten it to boarded specialties that Dr. Doug has. One of them is for zoo medicine, and he has that degree in Europe the degree or the boarded certification is Europe-based. And I guess that means you know an awful lot about how animals come to zoos. But if an if any kind of a creature only can go from zoo to zoo or from 
its place of origin to a zoo. When you call it a zoo load, is there loan. like a container full of bearded dragons back in the day? How did, what it was yeah, a zoo it, load? It actually loan, L-O-A-N, not load. Oh, loan. Um, so let's say um, a zoo in Australia oh. has some bearded dragons and San Diego Zoo wanted to get some put on display, but there would be an inter-zoo loan. So no the, way. the zoo in Australia would loan the dragons to the United States. The way the way paintings are loaned between museums around exactly, the world. Exactly. Exactly. And, and what about pandas? The Chinese. That's all, a good all example. The pandas in when zoos all that are... started, you know, no American zoos own pandas. Every panda in the United States is on loan from China, and so, um, and you actually pay a fee to basically rent the panda to have it at your zoo. Um, now, depending on the species, and some of them, like bearded dragons, breed so well in captivity, you don't have the inter-zoo loans anymore. Um, some species, let's say dolphins, um, if there's an aquarium in the Florida Keys and then there's another aquarium in Las Vegas and they need to enhance their genetic pool, they may borrow a male dolphin from the Florida Keys to go out and spend some time in Vegas and vacation no and have romance and then Come on. send them back. Um, but no, bearded dragons now do so well in captivity that there's really no loaning of bearded dragons back and forth. Um, oh, a good example would be a Komodo dragon. Okay. okay so the Komodo dragons, there is good breeding in Komodo dragons, but there's still a lot of inter-zoo loans of Komodo dragons. Some zoos have better success breeding than others. Some, some zoos are not set up for breeding, so they may get a loan of a bearded dragon for a year, or excuse me, a Komodo dragon for a year or two and then send it back. But getting back to the bearded dragons as pets, the beauty of it is that they are so well-bred in captivity now and their, their genetic vigor is so strong that when you buy a pet, uh, a bearded dragon, you're going to get a healthy animal that's not inbred, which is really nice to know. Um, the other thing that's really cool about bearded dragons is that they become so popular that there's a group of incredibly talented herpetologists, professionals, that are breeding for what they call color morphs. Ooh. So the typical bearded dragon may be kind of a brown and black uh, sandy color. And now you can get albino bearded dragons, you can get red bearded dragons, you can get pied bearded dragons. And it's just really amazing the different colors you can get. And of course, the fancier the color, the more you're going to pay for it. Just like within dogs and cats. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you about the the ethics of that, if you think that ethics are involved at all. And I'm I don't I'm not saying I think they are, but I, I know that in other species, whether it's dogs or horses, maybe not so much cats, because there are some cats that are albino or they're not really albino. They're just all white. But in dogs and horses, when albinos are bred on purpose, they're actually a regressive gene and going to be either unhealthy or get melanoma because they can't tolerate any amount of sunlight. Is that? Is there any issue about health in in the breeding of reptiles and amphibians to be albinos? Well, that's a great topic for another show, Tracy. Okay, but great. yes, there is because in order to get some of these unique colors, you have to you do have to inbreed. And as you can imagine, when you do a lot of inbreeding, you lose what's called hybrid vigor. Yes. Which is the strength you get from genetics by outcrossing. And so when you start selecting some of these really unique traits, like let's say a red bearded dragon. Right. Okay. Um, you're going to pick up some negative traits too. And so we'll occasionally see neurological diseases or animals born without eyes or animals yes. born without toes and yes. things like that. 
course, you don't hear about that because those animals are sacrificed. But yeah, there is, there are negatives that go along with that. But unlike in certain species, like in the bird world, you know, crossbreeding the macaws, you get some beautiful, beautiful variations, but it is extremely frowned upon. However, in the reptile world, this crossbreeding for color morphs in reptiles, snakes, lizards, um, that, turtles, uh, right. you know, it's, it's the norm. And that's, Isn't that a lot of people make a whole bunch of money by being the first on the block that has a, a checkerboarded um, tortoise. Isn't that wild? And and people that are seeking out, I think they call them lavender or lilac French bulldogs, Frenchies in the dog mm-hmm. world, which is deeply disturbing to me, the, the rapid rise of that particular popular breed because of the pretty horrible breeding that's going on in horrible places in order to churn out a lot of bearded, uh, bearded, that's funny, bearded Frenchies. No, just Frenchies. But they, they have $50,000 for a lilac or purple-colored one. It's like, no, people, don't go there. But you're saying that in the beardy world, these color variations are sought after and not considered in any way something that you're doing clandestine or surreptitiously or in a harmful way to the animals. Well, they're definitely sought after. And But like I said, remember, to get some of these really out-of-the-box colors, they have to do a lot of inbreeding because you're selecting for a genetic recessive trait. And it's not like it's all by itself out in the open. Uh, They're usually linked to a lot of other genetic recessives as well, and some of them aren't so good. And again, a lot of the neurological changes that we see, um, for instance, you'll you'll get a, I'll give you an example. This is not a a lizard, but um, somebody gave me a, a, color morph um, western hognose snake is a gift and it's an absolutely gorgeous snake but it's got neurologic disease so it it you put food in front of it and it misses the food when it goes to strike because oh it's not neurologically normal and so here's an animal that we've selected for its color but it wouldn't live in the wild because it's unable to exactly. feed exactly perfect example we will do a show on genetic manipulation by humans looking for either something amazing or something that's worth more money and by the way how funny is this people this is someone's idea of a gift i mean any snake and we did have a show on please don't ever gift any kind of animal to someone who who isn't seeking it out themselves and certainly not an exotic to just finish up on beardies can you give it like an overview of what kind of housing we have to have for them and what kind sure. of maintenance. I love the idea that you can safely and comfortably leave them for two days, even though they know you and they know your voice and they know their name, they're not going to get depressed or, or morose at being left alone. Well, I mean, um, there are no USDA standards for reptiles in general because USDA doesn't cover that. So you can't go to the USDA and look up what size cage does a bearded dragon need. Exactly. Um, but, they, you know, generally you need something big enough for them to ambulate and get around. They're desert animals, so they need a sandy-type soil or a dirt-type okay. soil. Um, they don't necessarily do well on gravel. Um, I don't recommend putting them on newspaper uh, artificial turf because that can actually cut their toes. Mm. So a quality dirt. And a lot of times people ask me, well, do I go out and I buy the dirt? Certainly you can buy the dirt if you want to. Um, or you can just go out to your garden and you can take a shovel and you can <laughs> dig the dirt up. Um, I do recommend that you treat the dirt before you put it in the cage because oftentimes dirt is, and you're going to laugh, 
is dirty. I love meaning, it. Meaning it may have parasites in it, it may have mites in it, things like right. that. Easy way to do it is throw it in a baking pan and bake it at 200 degrees for about a half an hour and it'll kill any mites or worms or fungus, anything else that's in there. You're not going to burn your oven up. You're not going to hurt oh your oven. Oh my God, that is so great. Take it out, let it cool off, put it in the cage and then you got some clean dirt. Bake okay. their dirt. Oh yes, my right. God, that's divine. Um, so they need a, a nice big shallow water pan that they can hop in and oftentimes they'll drink out of it, but frequently they'll urinate in it too and that's part of their normal behavior. So it's got to be easily cleaned and changed. Um, their diet is complex. They're not uh, insectivore. They're more of an omnivore leading toward an herbivore or a vegetarian-based yes. diet. So yes. you want to give them a mix of some, uh, maybe some live insects and some worms, but also a quality assortment of fresh vegetables um, and leafy greens. Um, they need to have some kind of a UV source like a UV spotlight, and they need to have a basking spot. Um, their temperature should be around the 80-degree range, um, but they need to have a spot in a cage far off in a corner where it might get up to about 100 so that if they want to thermoregulate, they can do their normal behavior. So they're, they're fairly easy keepers. It doesn't cost a lot of money to, to build them a nice cage and get things set up. And basically, you know, Tracy, once you get them set up, they're good to go for life. Um, the only thing you have to kind of do is every, depending on the brand, every six months or so change out the UV bulb to put in a fresh bulb. That's pretty cool. That It makes it sound quite manageable. And some of the setups that I saw for the various critters at the ZooMed booth can be very creative. Like it isn't just a, a glass box, if you will, with some sort of a lid on it and a lamp. You can do really cool stuff with various kinds of is it expired coffee wood or something? But beautiful things that are very natural. And do they need a hidey hole too, a hiding yeah, space? Yeah, they do. I mean, could you imagine living in the proverbial glass house? No. You know, you go into the bathroom and everybody can look in and watch. <laughs> right. So, yeah, they need their privacy. That's important to keep the stress down. Um, and, I mean, you can build your own habitat in – Certainly, our lucky sponsor, ZooMed, can sell you the parts to do that. Or if, if you don't want to make the effort to build your own, ZooMed has some incredibly pre-made enclosures that mimic the natural environment. And so the closer you can get to the natural environment, the better these animals will do in captivity. And in terms of your own pleasure and that of your family and visitors, I think that the whole setup, the animal, of course, is the king of the cage, if you will. But the whole setup, the more... The more naturalistic and full of variety it is, the more fun it is to watch. So, Well, you've heard me use this term before, and, and you can certainly use it again and blame me for it, but I call it living art. Yes, absolutely. I it's a great phrase, living art. So that's what your beardies can be. And those of you that have the number one most popular exotic pet in America, congratulations. And we hope over the, the weeks and months ahead, to encourage you to try some other exotics. Why not? Have one, have more. Thanks a lot, Dr. Doug. You bet, Tracy. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Exotic Pets, brought to you by the fine family of animal lovers at ZooMed Laboratories, where they make everything you could need to give your exotic its best possible life. Are you an experienced reptile snake breeder or gecko breeder? Or are you looking to pick up your first pet bearded dragon? ZooMed is sure to have what you need so you can confidently care for your exotics. If you have a question for Dr. Doug to answer on the show, feel free to reach out to me on our contact page at tracyhotchnerpets.com, spelled T-R-A. 
C-I-E-H-O-T-C-H-N-E-R-Pets.com. Thanks for listening.